Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Joshua chapter 23. Can you believe we're just about out of Joshua? Joshua chapter 23. Let me bring you up to date on what we've looked at in this incredible journey that we're all on in, with Jesus Christ. Now, what we have done is taken the new covenant, compared it to the old covenant. Now, in the old covenant, remember, they had an external covenant. It involved a land. We have an internal and eternal covenant involving a life. We have a life in Jesus. Not a land that we claim, but a life that we claim. And the way that they possess the land is the same way we experience the life that God has given to us. Jesus be Jesus in me, no longer me, but the resurrection power filled me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. We have seen in Scripture what we have. The key is how we tap into it. And today what I want to talk to you about, first of all, let me go back. We've looked at experiencing what you already have in chapter 1. We've looked at facing life and God's strength and also in chapter 1. We've looked at walking on the water of God's Word in chapter 3. We've looked at letting God be your legacy in chapter 4. We've looked at living as a victor, not a victim in chapter 5. We've looked at conquering the temptations that threaten us in chapter 6. We've looked at realizing the peril of unconfessed sin in chapter 7. We've looked at understanding what it's like living in the will of God, chapter 8. We've looked at understanding how to deal with failure in chapter 9. We've looked at watching God display His power in chapter 10. We've looked at experiencing God's design for you in chapter 14. We've looked at resting in Christ, our refuge, in chapter 20. We've looked at learning to live in peace with the odd brother in chapter 22. And today, we're going to look at learning that the Christian life is lived by faith alone in Christ alone. We're going to look at that today. Hopefully, it's been an encouragement to you, you as much as it has been to me. Now, let me get you into it this way. Don't lose where we're going. Learning to live by faith alone in Christ alone. But let me ease in a little bit indirect way. A true godly leader is one who is a believer and a follower, as we saw in Joshua. A true leader believes and a true leader follows. He, he yields, he surrenders, he obeys. He leads by his willingness to bow before Christ and walk in God's power and wisdom, not his own. He admits his mistakes, as we've seen with Joshua, and learns from them. And the very fact that he makes mistakes points to the fact that it's God who is the author of all of his successes and all of his victories. A godly leader is the proverbial turtle on a fence post. He didn't get there on his own. And he, like Joshua in the Old Testament that we've looked at over and over again, understands that. He knows it. It's not about him. He knows it's about God. But the problem is this. The DNA of all of our flesh is to so often fail to recognize the difference of what a man does for God and what God can do through a man. And let me tell you what that does to us. When we start putting our faith into a man rather than Christ that lives in the man, what happens is this. We mistakenly 
become groupies of this leader or that leader. <laughs> I'm of him, and I'm of him, and oh, he's not like him, and he's not like him, and, and I, I'm of him. And we miss the whole point of what true spiritual leadership is because it only points to Christ. If anything ever points to that leader, look out. It's got to point back to Christ. I have a friend of mine who lives down near Atlanta, and he's written a course on leadership. And I like this, his course because it's not like everybody else's book. It's not about what the man does and that type of thing. It's more about how a man is a follower. If he's not a follower, then he's not a leader. And the name of his book is this. There is only one leader, and you're not it. <laughs> and I love that. That's a perfect title. There's only one leader, and you're not it. The, the Corinthian church, you say, well, give me an example of that. Well, the Corinthian church is a classic example of men putting their faith into men instead of God that lives in the man. Uh, this not only divided the church, but it led them into all kinds of error. And you see this with what Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11. He says, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Then he identified the source of these quarrels. Now, it's, it's interesting how he slips up on our blind side. He says in verse 12, Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, <laughs> and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas. They were Paulites, Apolloites, and Cephasites. <laughs> and it had divided the church of Corinth. In chapter 3, he shows that, in 1 Corinthians, he shows that, being followers of men and of their wisdom is, is not only divisive, but it's a sign of spiritual immaturity. He says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 3, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. He says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you're still fleshly. He says, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? And then he nails the problem. He says in verse 4, for when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? Don't you get it? See, that's the way we are when we are not living trusting Christ. Somebody has taken the place that Christ deserves in our life. So the question would be, are we a Christ follower or are we a man follower? You say, well, Wayne, that's really good, and I appreciate you bringing all that up. What's that got to do with Joshua? Okay, let's, let's look. In our study today, Joshua has gotten old, and it does happen, folks. It does happen. Joshua has gotten old. He's about to pass off the scene, and he knows it. He's been the really leader of all of Israel for this, all this time. He earnestly wants them, and what he says to them in 23 and 24, he earnestly wants them to get their eyes off of him and to realize it's God that they have needed all along. Joshua knew that leadership comes and leadership goes, but God remains the same yesterday, today, and how long? And forever. He knew that. And Joshua had been their leader for years and their unsung hero, but now he's about to pass off to the scene. So in the final two chapters of Joshua, Joshua has a lot to tell him. He, he knows that his time is short. So he calls the leadership of Israel together for one more time. And what he says is so powerful. First of all, to warn them of apostasy and of its, all of its severe consequences. 
but also to challenge them to trust only God and to trust only His Word. And the bottom line is, what he's saying is, you really haven't needed me. You've needed God all along. It's not about the leader. It's about who he's following. It's about God. And that's what he wants them to hear. Look at verse 1 of Joshua 23. Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side. And Joshua was old, advanced in years. And Joshua called for all of Israel, for their elders and their heads and their judges and their officers, and said to them, I'm old, advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. And I love that. Don't you love that? He said, Joshua reminds him, it's not me out there fighting for you. It's the Lord that's out there fighting for you. The Lord has been fighting for you. God had given them all their victories, and he was the one fighting for them all along. Now, everything Joshua had done was under God's direction and was enabled by God's power. And God had defeated their enemies just like he promised he would. And Joshua, had, listen, Joshua had just been a vessel, a conduit that God could use. He was a follower in the sense that he obeyed God, and as, as a result of that, that made him a true leader of the people. But his life never pointed to him. His life pointed to God. So in verse 4 he says, See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance for your tribes. With all the nations which I've cut off from the Jordan even to the great sea toward the setting of the sun. The Lord your God, he will thrust them out from before you and drive them from before you. And you will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. In other words, they had had the land divided, but they hadn't fully conquered it all yet. But he said to continue to go on, to continue to walk in victory, God's going to have to do it, and you're going to have to learn to trust Him. Only faith, trusting God, would unlock God's power in their lives. Now this is true for us in the New Covenant as well. Remember Colossians 2, 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk you in Him. How did you receive Him? By faith. How do we walk in Him? By faith. Faith alone, in Christ alone, just like with Israel, unlocks everything that we have in Christ. No leader can make anybody trust Christ. Nobody. I can convince you to, to, to you, you're thoroughly convinced. I cannot convict you, and neither can anybody else. This is an individual choice each person has to make. We saw last week the two and a half tribes, they made an individual choice and camped out on the east side of the Jordan River, on the other side of what God had promised. And that's a choice everybody has to make. But when we come to that place and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you, faith alone in you and Christ alone, then we begin to unlock everything that we already have. It's not a matter of getting it. God had already given them the land. God has already given us the life. Ephesians 1.3 says he's given us every spiritual blessing. But how do we unlock it? What does this mean? How do we trust God? How do we tap into what God has already says is ours? Well, three things. First of all, living by faith alone in Christ alone, it involves clinging to Christ and to his word. And he uses that very word. If you look down in verse 8, you find his heart as he challenges Israel's leadership. He says in verse 8, But you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done this day. Now that word cling really sticks out at me. When I see a word like that, 
I'm going to chase it down. In the Hebrew, it means to glue yourself to something. <laughs> I love that thought. To cleave to, to cling to. I remember when Stephen was young, I, I can't remember the age, but he was very timid at that age because I wanted him to jump in the swimming pool. You, ever, you remember your children when you've done that or your grandchildren? And I waded out in the water, and the water was up to my shoulders. And Stephen's standing on the edge, and he sees how high the water is on me, and he's very timid about jumping into the water. I said, come on, Stephen, come on, son. And he just <clears throat> looked at me for the longest time. Finally, he just bolstered up his courage, and he just went threw himself out, in the, out towards me. When he hit me, he about knocked me down, and he grabbed my head and liked to have choked me to death. I, I couldn't shake him loose because he knew something. He had made a step, but now he's over his head, and if I didn't hold him up, he was going to sink, and that's exactly what it means to cling to God. Take that step of faith. Trust what God says. Now hang on to him for dear life because what it's over our heads. Remembering that anything that's over our heads is under his feet. Cling to God and to his word. You see, it is God's word that jumpstarts our faith. You can't cling to God without clinging to his word. And as we cling to him, cling to it, then what happens is we tap into what we have. It says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. Not only from the initial time of salvation, but all the way through. In fact, it's very, very important. You must cling to the Word if you're going to cling to God. So Joshua says, glue yourselves to God and to His Word. Cling to Him. Cleave to Him. Don't turn Him loose. And verse 6 says, be very firm then to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Now, this little phrase, be very firm, means to prevail against something. They've got some challenges big time ahead of them. Joshua's going to be off the scene. He's trying to tell them what to do. It means to stand against something. In other words, if something's pulling you this way, you turn your back up on it, you go that way. It's, 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 it's that idea. But what is it that we stand against? And he's going to show you in the text. What he's saying is the temptation to abandon our faith and to embrace idolatry. How quickly? That's part of our flesh. Our flesh loves that kind of thing. Remember that they were in a pagan land where idolatry was a constant temptation to them. If they didn't conquer the people, they were certainly weren't, they weren't to make peace with them or to do anything else. Idolatry can take a thousand forms. You know, idolatry, all idolatry is, it's made by man, and it's only designed to please man. That's all idolatry is, made by human hands. That's all an idol is. Everything I want to believe and everything I want to do, I, I make my idol so that it'll satisfy those whims. Idolatry lurks on all sides. So Joshua says, don't turn aside from God's word. To the right hand or to the left, cling to the Lord and to his word. Then he explains why, verse 23, or chapter 23, verse 7. So that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you, or mention the name of their gods, or make anyone swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. And the word associate means exactly that. Don't intermarry with them, which is one of the problems that Israel had. Don't recognize their gods. And certainly don't make peace with them. Don't make peace with them. For us in the new covenant, now what would that be saying to us? Now remember, we've got two things here. We've got the old covenant of law. We've got the new covenant of grace. What does that say to you and I in the new covenant? It's the warning. 
that we need to be in the world. Absolutely, that's where our influence is felt. But not be brainwashed with the way that they think. Romans 12, 1 and 2 to me just pictures, a, 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 it's almost like Joshua saying this to the people. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brethren. The word urge there means I'm begging you. I'm begging you by the mercies of God. And what is, that word mercy is a different word than normally used. It's the word that means I can't do anything to make this happen for you. Just like Joshua couldn't change their mind. But I'm begging you. I'm urging you by the mercies of God, all that he's done for you, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And he says, and do not be conformed to this world, exactly what Joshua told them. But he tra be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, a boat in the waters by design, but water in the boat is disaster. But here's the problem. Our, our, our flesh, our flesh gravitates towards the world. It gravitates toward the ways of the world and its wisdom and its works. And so we have the struggle. He says, be strong. Be firm against the temptation that lurks around you. The attitude of faith is to cling to God and to his word. You say, well, Wayne, I thought he held on to me. That's exactly right. And that's the beautiful secret of the new covenant. He's got you whether you're clinging to him or not, but cling to him. That's a conscious decision that we make every single day. We're cooperating with him. The attitude of faith is to cling to God and to his word. And the consequence of not doing that is to fall right in the trap of idolatry. Anybody in here ever fall into that trap besides me? And I'm not talking about some great religious, I'm talking about just things you worship that your flesh wants. That's what happens. And there's a thousand different ways we can do that. So to put our faith in man and his wisdom make no sense at all. What Joshua was telling them is, are you kidding me? It wasn't me. It was God. And if you'll just continue to go on, and if you'll cling to him, and if you'll glue yourself to him and to his word, you're going to keep walking in the victory he says is already yours. You'll possess what you already have but have not yet experienced. One of England's most uh, enduring legends involves the Danish king Canute, who lived in, and ruled in Britain from 1016 to 1035. He was such an imposing and successful king that never-ending praises were rendered to him. Everybody that served him was afraid to say anything except that which was flattering uh, to him because they were afraid of him. Canute grew tired of it. And one day in the year... 1032 he took them down to the coast he placed his throne in the sand as the tide was coming in took his throne he as his advisors stood around he asked them you think that i'm in the, i'm the mightiest of the mighty oh yes your majesty they replied you think i can stop the tide <laughs> oh yes your majesty they replied a little doubtfully Looking at the ocean breakers, he said, Oh, see, stay, come no further. I, Canute, ruler of the universe, command you. But despite his command, the tide kept coming in. It rolled in on their feet, got up to their waist, and finally they knocked them down. And when it did, they all ran for safety. And Canute, the king, said, Do you see how little I really am? There's only one Lord over land and water, the Lord of the universe. It is to him and to him alone you should offer your praise. So slowly the king and his servants walked back into town where he stopped at the cathedral 
and removed his crown and hung it there in the church. That's a perfect picture of a man who understands that. And what Joshua was saying, I'm going off the scene. I'm not going to be around. Now listen, God has done this and brought you this far. God will take you on. You don't need me. You need him. So, faith alone in Christ alone involves clinging to him and to his word, for he alone is worthy. But the second thing, it involves growing in love with Christ and the word. I love this part of it. Look ahead in, in the text of verse 11. He says, so take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. That word love in the Old Testament is used to describe the hunger somebody has for something. It's used of lovers and their desire to be together with one another. When one loves Christ, he desires to be in his presence and he hungers for his word. But this kind of love is developed. This is not something that happens instantaneously. When we recognize what Christ has done for us, we bow before him. But as we continue to bow before him, the more we experience him, and the more we experience him, the more we love him. I remember the first time I ever saw Diana. It was at the Miss Kentucky pageant back in the 60s, 68, I think it was. And I was dating somebody else, but she hadn't made the top ten. And Diana was in the top five. Everybody in that auditorium, I did not know her from anybody were voting for Diana to win Miss Kentucky. She did not. I was really disappointed. Afterwards, I was very grateful. Had she won it, I would have never met her. But she was second runner-up. So amongst the runner-ups, they picked one to go to Chicago at the National Sweetheart Pageant. You either go to Miss America or there. And Diana went up there and won both trophies uh, nationwide. But here's the thing. I was over to motel. They wouldn't let you speak to a man. They could not speak to any male while they were there because of somebody saying this or that. I'm standing there. Her, the sister of the girl I'm dating is, is also there, and she's going to see her sister. And all of a sudden, Dinah walks by me, and it caught my attention. And I'm thinking, whoa, she's good looking. Oh, beautiful teeth, beautiful hair. I'm thinking, she said later on that she noticed me, but all she saw was I was tall. <laughs> anyway, wasn't but a few months later, a friend of mine called up and, and said, I got a blind date for you. I mean, actually, it wasn't really a blind date. I'd seen her, but I hadn't really gotten to know her. And he said, it's with Diana. I said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Long story about how we got together. But that was 43 and a half years ago. Now, you asked me that day, what's the name of that girl that was tall and tanned and good-looking? Uh, I don't know, but she was tall and tan and good looking. <laughs> and now today you come back and you ask me the same question. I said, oh, her name is Diana. Oh, yes. And do I love her? Oh, I love her. She's the greatest friend I have on this earth. And the years that I've gotten to know her, I've come to love her and I've come to love her even more. And that's exactly the way it is in the Christian life. It, it doesn't happen overnight. It starts when you bow before him and you are so are overwhelmed with what he's done for you. But that love is a relationship that you build. And it's something that grows as you know the person. It's something that is deepened in your life. The more we love him, the more we love him more. 
The more we love him, the more we serve him. The more we serve him, the more we know him. The more we know him, the more we love him. The more we love him, the more we serve him. The more we serve him. And it's a, it's a beautiful divine cycle that just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And some of the greatest thrill that I have these days is watching when Dr. Ofer went on to be with the Lord and, and others. I wasn't there when he died. But just, just watched him in our old age. And all they could talk about was their love for Christ. All they could talk about was worshiping Him. That's the way it grows. It's not all there right at first, but it grows and it grows and it grows. But the more we love Him, the more we love Him, the more we'll serve Him. John 21 is a beautiful chapter to give us a picture of how Simon Peter came to understand that. In John 21, 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? And you know the play on words. He, he said, do you love me more than these? Using agapao. And Peter said back to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he changes it to philos. And that's not a lesser word. That's just a different word. It has a different meaning to it. What Peter said back to him, I cherish you. I love to be with you. You're like a brother. You're like family. And then he goes on. He said to him, tend my lambs. And in verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Use the exact same wording. And, and he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Using that other word there, which wasn't bad, it was just not what God was asking him. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. I can't hide anything from you. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Truly, truly, he says to him, When you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. And I want you to see something that just grabbed me just recently. Not one time, not one time did Jesus ever ask him, do you love the sheep? Not once. He said, do you love me? And that's a huge difference. There are a lot of people that are more in love with sheep than they are the shepherd. And the shepherd's the Lord Jesus himself. And then when, Je when, when Jesus knew he had it, and Peter knew he had it, Jesus didn't say, go to a conference somewhere and learn how to love me and then come back and let's go through this again. He didn't say that. He said, Peter, just follow me. Just follow me. Because the more you're willing to do what I tell you to do, the more you're going to know me. And the more you know me, the more you're going to love me. And the more you love me, the more you're going to serve me. And the more you serve me, the more you know me. And the more you know me, the more you love me. And the more you love me, the more you serve me. And that's the way it grows. That's the way it grows. Well, he I love that. He doesn't tell him to go learn how to love him. In our text, Joshua reminds Israel of all that they knew about God. You see, if knowing affects loving, they knew some things about God. They had experienced God in so many different ways. And he reminds them of it. Verse 9, For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. And as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. They had experienced God and His power against all manner of adversaries, and they had experienced His faithfulness. Now, Here's, here's my point right here, this message. Well, how do you know God this morning? I want you to think back with me. Think back through your life. How do you know God? How has God already shown himself faithful? You knew him in your experience of him when you trusted him. 
Now think about all that we know today about God. God has chosen to use every, each one of He chose to use each one of of the Israelites in a powerful way. It wasn't just the nation. It was each and every one. He says in verse 10, One of your men puts a flight to a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you just as he promised you. What is a picture in that over in 2 Kings? And I don't want to get you on another thought here, but it's just so alive. The king of Aram was trying to to conquer Israel and chase them here and chase them there. But Elisha was heading him off at the pass. (laughs) He'd hear from God and say, don't go over there, don't go over here. And finally, the king of Aram just got really ticked. And he said, who is this guy and where does he live? Is he king or am I king? Let's go get him. And they told him the city that he was in. And so the king goes and surrounds the city with all of his armies and all of his chariots. And the servant wakes up the next morning and runs into Elisha and said, Elisha, you won't believe this. I mean, but we're in trouble, man. They have surrounded the city. And Elisha is so, so neat. He just tells him to relax. In verse 16, so he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Do what? You've got got Elisha and his servant in there. That's all you've got. You've got a whole army. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That was God's army that was there protecting them. How in the world can we miss this in in our lives today? We get so overwhelmed by what's in front of us, we don't understand how we've already known him and how faithful God has been to everything he's ever promised. Why would he fail us now? You say, Wayne, we're in in a critical time in our history. Well, somebody tell God about it because he probably doesn't know. And it's God who raises up kings, and it's God who establishes kingdoms, and God is the one who watches out for us. It's God who is around us. We don't need a leader. We need him. And that's what Joshua was trying to tell him. You already know him. You already know him. Now, just love him. It doesn't take long to love God when you have trusted him and seen his faithfulness in your life, does it? Verse 11 says, so take diligent heed to yourselves. Make this a priority to the love, to love the Lord your God. The word Lord he uses there is the word for Jehovah, the unchanging, eternal, self-existent I am. I am what? Just like I have been before, I am whatever you're not. Everything that you need, whatever you put in the blank, I am, I am, I am, I am. Wayne, what happens if Social Security falls through? Wayne, what happens if, if we have no future? Wayne, what happens if we lose our houses? He says, I am. I am that I am. So whatever need we have, fill in the blank, is the word for Lord. He is the God who is, to, is the answer to whatever we put in the blank. The word God is also significant in that verse. It is Elohim. It's the plural form of the word God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. There is no other God. <laughs> I just kind of get involved in these things. I'm just thinking Joshua saying, our God is an awesome God. Cling to him. Love him. Stop putting your eyes on all the things that are adversity in your life. Look to him. Look to him. If we in any way turn to man in his wisdom, we've committed adultery. We've committed adultery. Sin is adultery. Flesh is adultery. Doing things our way is adultery. So if we're trusting Christ and His Word, we will cling to Him 
and we'll want to know him. The more we cling to him, the more he expresses his faithfulness to us, and the more he does that, the more we love him. Oh, it's a beautiful picture. Trusting Christ alone involves clinging to Christ in his word. It involves loving him. As we cling to him, we know him, and as we know him, we love and obey. But there's one other thing. Thirdly, finally, it involves knowing. Now, this is something we all understand and we all know. It seems, seems to some people act surprised when it happens. It involves knowing that there are consequences to disobeying Christ in his word. Every believer already knows that. We don't have to restate it. Israel certainly knew that. We should know and fully understand that if we choose not to cling to him, if we choose not to be in his word, if we choose not to walk the walk with the surrender, if we choose not to, to live by faith, there's a huge price that we're going to pay. I've said it how many times since I've been pastor here. Sin will take you further than you ever dreamed that you would stray. It'll keep you longer than you, you ever intended to stay. And it'll cost you more than you ever would have believed that you pay. So that's the cost of what is sin. The middle letter of the word sin tells us that all, everything. When I gets into the picture, and when I get my eyes off of him, and when I take my eyes off of his word, and when I'm not willing to, to just yield to him, what happens is there, there are going to be consequences to that. And they're not good. I don't know if you've heard about the man who had a, had a hen house. And the foxes kept attacking the hen house and stealing the chickens. And he was so upset. He tried everything, spent tons of money to try to kill that fox. Couldn't get it. And he, one day he was chasing him through a field, and it was a ditch there he forgot about and hit the ditch and tore his truck up. I mean, he, this, this fox has cost him, and he is now livid, and he is going to get him. Finally, one day he caught him. Now the dilemma is, how do you get rid of him? Because he wanted it to be painful. It had cost him dearly. And he just thought and thought and thought, I could shoot him, no, that's too quick. I could do all, and finally he said, I know how to do it. He went to the, uh, a hardware store and got six sticks of dynamite and some duct tape. And he came back and duct taped the six pieces of dynamite around the fox's body. Then he took the fuses and spliced them together for about 30 feet and just fixed them, oh, it was great. Then he went in and got him a lawn chair, got him a glass of lemonade, sat down in the back of his land and turned the fox loose and after he had lit the, the fuse. Well, he just sat there and waited. He just waited and waited. Could not wait until that boom took place down in the swamp. He waited and all of a sudden, to his dismay, he saw the fox coming back out of the woods, running right towards him and this fuse was getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And the fox ran right up under his brand new truck and you know the rest of the story. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to stray, keep you longer than you ever intended to stay, cost you more than you ever dreamed you'd pay. Hi. Hey, by the way, if you've been there and understand what I'm saying, would you raise your hand? Anybody besides me? <laughs> we know it, don't we? We know it. Does Israel know it? Duh. I mean, they, they got defeated by I. Every time they didn't listen to God, there was a consequence. Look what he says in verse 12. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, you do to them what I told you to do with God. And they only had two choices like us. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, see they hadn't completely possessed the land yet, and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you. And what he does here, he's presenting a possibility that's going to 
be a blatant disregard for what God had commanded. Then the warning, verse 13. Know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive out these nations from before you. It's like saying, is this really what you want? Is this really what you want? You mean you're not going to cling to God? You're not going to cling to his word? You're not going to trust him? You're not going to love him and grow in that love with him? You mean you're going to go this way, your own way? Okay, then this is what you're going to get. But they will be a snare and a trap to you. Snares and traps put a person into bondage. And a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. A whip and thorns bring pain. Ultimately, death prevails until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Then he says, now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth. He talks about dying. I'm about to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls and not one word of, of all the good words which the Lord your spoke, your God spoke concerning you has ever failed. Everything he's ever promised he's done. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them have failed. And what he's doing, he's affirming God's faithfulness and he's reminding them of what they already knew about God. But then he warns them that just as God is faithful to honor obedience, he's also faithful to chastise disobedience. It says in verse 15, it shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, verse 16, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down before them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. Now you say, Wayne, that's old covenant, and I understand that. But where is that truth over here in the new covenant? Listen, bottom line is this, in the new covenant. God says, if you won't trust me, if you're not going to, if you're going to do your own thing, and all things are lawful, not all things are profitable, if you're going to make your own choices and you're going to go your own way, then you will not experience the fullness of the blessings that you already have in Christ. And that goes back to our message last week, the two and a half tribes that, that just refused to, be, to walk in that which God had given to them. You'll imprison yourself. And the pain, oh, I could write a book on this. The pain of doing things your way will cost you. If you choose to transgress the covenant of the Lord, your God, by serving other gods, there will be consequences that are out of your control. You have no, 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 no way that you can know what they will be. Well, this would be good for our nation to hear about right now, wouldn't it? <laughs> so learning to live by faith alone in Christ alone and not placing our trust in man is the bottom line. And here's what it involves. It involves clinging to Christ and to his word. It involves loving Christ and his word. It involves knowing that there are consequences to disobeying Christ and his word. Don't ever, ever, ever think of a spiritual leader as if it's him. If he's truly a spiritual leader, everything in his life points back to Christ and everything in his understanding is he's a turtle on a fence post. He knows he can't do it himself. And so it all points back to what the people really needed. Well, I can't help but think, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, how God would change their land. I honestly believe today that the problems we're having in our country is because of the church, not this church, but the church in general, and its failure 
to lead people to Christ and to walk out and live out what they actually what they say they are. I really believe that. Wasn't it Mahatma Gandhi who said, I would have been a Christian had it not been for Christians. So, what's the hope in this message? Thanks a lot, Wayne. <laughs> really appreciate it. <laughs> Feel beat up. I'm late. I'm late. <laughs> Two words, and I'll bring them up over and over again. The grace of God, the enabling, transforming power of God, and the mercy of God. Aren't you glad he gave us mercy? Because when we blow it, and we will, we run right back to him, and he gives us the mercy to bear up under whatever the consequences are in our life. They're going to be there, but he gives you the mercy to bear up under, turns you right back to himself. There's always hope in the new covenant for a believer. When you read these Old Testament passages, it sounds like he's going to wipe us off the face of the earth. No, he's going to come for us and take us to be with himself. It's a, it's a whole different scenario. But just to remind us, you can't play with this thing. You don't play with it. You either are or you aren't. You're either walking by faith alone in Christ alone or you're not. So the question would be today, where are you? You trusting a man? You trusting God? That's the bottom line. Faith alone in Christ alone. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed? Eyes closed. Just maybe with your heads bowed, draw, draw that circle around yourself. As nobody's here but just you and the Lord. And ask the Lord to speak to you the one thing that he wants you to hear today. Where are you in your walk with the Lord right now? Are you where you need to be in the sense that you're surrendered? That's what all, all I mean by that. There's no arrival and there's no big eyes a little used. I'm just asking the basic question. Is your walk with God right now to where you're growing in your love with him? And the more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the more you want to serve him by saying yes to him. And then the more you say yes to him, the more you experience him and the more you know him. Are you in that divine cycle right now? Or is there anybody here today that's just really like Israel? You've chosen a better way that you thought was better. And right, maybe you're here this morning and you're miserable. And maybe God's trying to tell you there is grace and there is mercy. Come back to me. Don't ever run from him when you're in that predicament. Run to him. Because that's what we have in the new covenant, which is so precious. Well, just as you allow yourself to just be in thought, eyes closed, heads bowed, Carrie's going to sing. And if you have a decision you need to make during this time, come on down. The altar is open if you'd like to come and pray. And you, you just go run back to where you departed. It's, it's just run back to say, God, I've done things my own way, and I'm still doing it, and I ask you to cleanse me of that, and I appropriate the forgiveness I already have for that. And, Lord, I just, I just want to start from today on. And it's, it's, it's that fast. It's that fast as God begins to take hold again, and you begin to cling to him. Father, we just thank you. May we listen carefully now, and may you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.